Welcome. Today we're speaking with Tommy Starchild. He is a spirit worker, witch, initiate in the Anderson Fairy Mystery Tradition, a published writer, artist, presenter, the owner of My Authentic Self, and founder of Sacred Moon, Sacred Self, Temple of the Old Ways, and a fellow fairy seer apprentice of Orion Foxwood and the House of Bree. Welcome, Tommy. Thank you. Tell us about where you were born and what it was like growing up there. All right. Well, I was born outside Detroit um, in um, the city of Wayne, in the county of Wayne. So I often say bland and bland because <laughs> Wayne is like beige. Um, and I was adopted and uh, grew up in Plymouth, which is not far from there. No, and they're a big art school, aren't they? In Plymouth? Yeah. Uh, there could be. Uh, music and stuff like that? Yeah. I, I grew up in Michigan, too, so... Yeah, the high school, the public high school, was amazing. Mm. Um, it's the largest I'm aware of now. At the time, they divided it into two schools, one educational park mm -hmm. with two schools, Plymouth Canton and Plymouth Salem, um, for the purpose of sports and, and all of those things. Now it's mm -hmm. three. Mm -hmm. And because of that, yeah, they, they were very good arts, music. They had an amazing arts uh, and music program, and yeah. then they had an amazing football team. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I'm familiar with a little bit of that. Yeah. But I didn't do the sports. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Neither did I. Um, I. I was on yearbook staff and took pictures oh, cool. quickly. Um, but I grew up... Um, it was the pastor of my parents' church that arranged for my adoption. Um, and so I always say that the church literally created my family. And so I grew up in the church. I was raised Baptist and went to a Baptist private school up until um, my junior, senior year, which I proposed a good argument to my parents um, that sent me to the private school to get a better education. Um, that's in quotes. <laughs> um, and they actually weren't providing them. They were just like basic classes. And the public school was offering more in psychology, which is where I wanted to go. Um, and so I was able to win the argument and go to the public school um, for my junior and senior year. And I did not get enough of, of the art mm. classes. Um, I was one of those kids. Um, I was drawing pictures of birds in the encyclopedias before I could write my name. So... I was definitely one of those kids that should have had art all the way through school. The Christian school didn't provide that. Huh. Um, we had a craft thing sh for a short period because mothers were volunteering. Um, I did yearbook at the private school because that was as close as I could get to anything uh, creative, yearbook in journalism. Um, and then when I got to the public school, you needed a year, a full uh, credit of uh, intro to art to take any other art class, um, and then I couldn't fill my schedule enough with, with art, um, but I joined the art club so that I could at least supplement that way, um, but got a, a tremendous um, amount, I, I grabbed everything I could get um, to get a tremendous amount of exposure to a lot of, of um, different thinking um, and, and different perspectives, not only through the world of art, um, but also in a lot of the subjects. Uh, and classes I was able to take. Nice. Yeah. So then what led you to head out this direction? Well, there's winter in Michigan. Sure. And this was, um, you know, uh, mid to late 80s. Um, I graduated in 86, and I was a punk rocker. So putting a ski hat on your hair that you spent a long time... Right. Making the perfect hair and sealing it and you know freezing it forever with Aquanet Extra Super Hold, um, <laughs> destroying the ozone but having great hair. Um, so yeah, winter was not conducive to my look. <laughs> um, but I had family. My, a lot of my dad's family lived in Phoenix, and we would go there a lot. And Phoenix in December looks like the Garden of Eden. Right. Um, so I knew my entire senior year that I was going to. Um, moved to Phoenix when I graduated, uh, and so that was the plan. Uh, fortunately, got accepted to ASU and never attended because I, I would have been the first person in my family to go to college, so I actually didn't know the process. I did the application, and I don't know, I just thought, 
somehow they'd find me and say, okay, first day of class is happening. Um, that didn't happen, uh, but that got me to, to Phoenix, and I lived with family in um, warmer weather, and then moved to San Diego in 94, because Phoenix is hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some very base-level seeking, yes. seeking some, some comforts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so... Uh... My question, or next question, would be, uh, what led you to begin practicing witchcraft? That's actually something I have explored. Um, because I was very Christian. I was a very good Christian. Sang in the, the school choir, the church choir. Uh, very well studied in Bible class every year in, in school. And, um, and so I was very very religious. I was very spiritual. I've always been all my life discussing Old Testament theology when I was very young with adults. Um, but got a little disillusioned mm. um, in my mid to, to later teens by the actions of a pastor that um, I was at a moral majority convention <laughs> in 84 or 5, I think it was, um, in Washington, D.C. with Ronald Reagan as the final keynote speaker mm. of the weekend. Um, this was during the time of ACT UP. I'm pretty sure um, that this was an ACT UP protester uh, when Reagan uh, arrived to do his talk. And they, all they did was stand up and hold up a sign. Fortunately, also uh, for me in some regard, it was the only time we didn't sit with our church. I was there with my dad, and he wanted to be as close to Reagan as we could get. So we were down on the main floor. Uh, but when this protester stood up in the bleacher seating where we had been sitting um, prior, he was up at the highest seat next to the ceiling. He just stood up and held a sign. All the TV cameras swing around to him. And our pastor was sitting just across the stairs that go up to the, uh, from this guy. And the cameras catch the pastor of my church pounding this guy into the ground. And for me, that was a major influential moment because I really valued sitting under the teachings of this pastor. I really liked him a lot, and uh, that was in stark contrast to his teachings and, and the integrity um, that I thought that I was sitting under. So when I moved to Phoenix, um, I was very disillusioned um, by the church still felt like I was a very good Christian, um, but didn't know where I was going to turn for my spiritual teaching and, and, and learning because I did not want to be misguided again um, by a, a teacher that was not living up to what they were teaching. Um, but it was my first boyfriend, because I also, that was a learning curve there of accepting um, that I've always been gay and he was the first person that ever called me a white witch. Hmm. I'd never heard that before. I didn't know what it meant. Um, he was a Dungeon and Dragons player, <laughs> so I did go sifting through his books to see if like, that's where he was coming from and what he was trying to say. Um, but weird things would happen, and he couldn't explain them. They weren't, he wasn't doing it, and he was like, it's either me or you, and I'm not doing it, so it's got to be you. And one day, because most of the time I didn't know what he was referring to, because I wasn't cute and I wasn't noticing. Uh, and this one day we were arguing, we argued a lot, um, but we were yelling and screaming at each other. And there was some kind of knickknack that was on the counter that lifted off the counter, flew across the room between our faces, hit the wall, fell down onto the floor behind a chair. Both of us stopped arguing. We were shocked. And we looked under the chair that didn't have a skirt or anything, um, so it sat above the floor, so you could see around it clearly. We both looked for the object, and the object was gone. And he looks at me, he's like, you did that. And I, I couldn't deny it. I don't know if I did or didn't, but he said he didn't do it. I was the only other person in the apartment, and this situation clearly happened. And I couldn't deny that I did it. And that stuck. 
Uh, and later, we that relationship didn't last. Surprise. Um, got into another relationship, n not technically better, but nonetheless, that's a different story. And it was a few years of that of sitting that that stayed on my mind, and I couldn't shake it until finally I got enough courage to to say to my partner that I was thinking about getting a book. And my coworker at that time, I used to be a hairdresser, and she was psychic, and she did numerology and 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 read regular playing cards. And one day, her and I both are working on clients, and out of the blue, she's like, "You need to get a book." okay, what kind of book? She's like, I don't know, whatever falls off the shelf at you. I'm like, literally, like, fall off the shelf. She's like, I don't know, maybe. And she goes back to backcombing hair, and she was doing this incredible beehive with barrel curls and all this. Um, so I told my partner I was going to go look for a book, and he's like, what kind of book? I'm like, I don't know. It'll fall off the <laughs> shelf at me. And I had no idea what I was looking for, in my mind, I was thinking this might be the opportunity to find a, a book on witchcraft, but I was, still wasn't quite sure. And I went to this metaphysical um, store that I used to hang out in, but I never bought anything. And I just walked in front of each section of, of the, the books, all their, all their books, through each subject section, and then stopped at the, the witchcraft section. That There's something there that seemed to grab my attention. Um, no book fell off the shelf. That would have been awesome. <laughs> but, but I did get drawn to uh, a book, and, and so I picked that up, and then I was still kind of looking, wasn't really trusting my intuition, and my logic drew me to another book, um, and then I kind of sat there with both of my hand, um, and then realized my logic drew me to one book, so I put that down and, and uh, went and purchased the, the one that my, I seemed more drawn to, um, and that was a Scott Cunningham book. Nice. I think the first one was Earth, Air, Fire, Water yeah. um, that I had picked up. And so that was my first intro. And there was something in his voice that I could hear in his writing that I knew um, he must be gay. There was nothing in his writing that said that, but there was something I could literally like hear his voice when I was reading his words, and, and it spoke to me. Um, and in a way that um, was new and different. Um, so that was my introduction, and, and I would go through um, and get more. It was um, Buckland's, I don't know, we were a big book of magic. The Big uh, Blue Book. The Big Blue Book, that was what my logic <clears throat> mind had like, picked up. And... Every time after that, when I would go for what would be the next book, looking for it to fall off the shelf, and so my intuition would draw me to, to something, and logic would, would draw me to another Buckland book. So I've actually never read any of Buckland's books, because logic kept drawing me there, and I was trying to follow my intuition, which kept directing me to other authors. So I found that amusing in present day, looking back, going, oh, wow, I never have ended up with one of his books and read them. Because <laughs> my head, logic mind, was telling me, pick that up. And I was trying to be all in my intuition and be witchy about it. <laughs> well, thank you. And that was around 91, kind of mid-91. So you were still in Phoenix at the time? In Phoenix at the time, yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And uh, what is something you wish... Non-witches understood about witches, witchcraft or fairy tradition. Oh, those are kind of different different things. questions. So I will try to piece them apart. So something I wish the general public um, knew or was it knew or understood. Yeah, what do you wish they understood about witches or fairies or the the things okay. that you have your hands in? Right. Um. I wish they understood that witchcraft is a broad subject, mm -hmm. um, that not all witchcraft is Wicca, right. and because that would often be people like, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a witch. Oh, so Wicca, and they'd be all excited. <clears throat> I'm like, no, actually, Anderson Ferry is not Wicca, not even 
similar. Um, and so understanding that there's a, a, a broader practice beyond Wicca, not that there's anything wrong with Wicca, but that's one particular kind of practice right. among a huge variety. And, and that, at its heartbeat, um, is very earth-based and, for me, very um, animistic uh, in, in its approach and very, very much uh, animistic for me. Um, not human-centric. That's been a big thing for me of late, is recognizing um, the difference, even within the, the larger um, modern neo-pagan movement, uh, reflecting on the difference in approach of a very human-centric approach, and, and for me, personally, a very animistic uh, approach, where meaning, the, the difference meaning, I'm not coming from my own perspective of being human and then relating outward, but myself as part of a, a, a huge realm of natural beings in both seen and unseen worlds. And, and just because a human perceives it doesn't mean it's got the uh, more higher importance or relevance um, to it. But that, yeah, I would love to say, oh, well, we're not really scary people. But then I would like to say, no, we really kind of are scary people. Because sometimes it's fun to play with that perception. Um, <laughs> but in general, um, we're, you know, the, the cliche is we're no different, but, but we are. We're dramatically different, I think. Um, just like being gay is dramatically different. Um, we're not the same, but that doesn't mean difference and be afraid, but um, different so that we can relish in um, the variety of expression of what it means to be human and how we live as, as humans within the larger scope of, of the world and um, Mother Earth that we um, owe our life to. Right. So who would you say is your biggest influence? That's a good question. I would, I would have to say, um, because it was my introduction, would be Scott Cunningham. Um, because he was my first author. In, in, you know, he was based in San Diego. And, and I, I did know. At the time, I was living in Phoenix, like I would mentioned, and, and that he was based in San Diego. And so when I moved here, that was kind of exciting. But he had already passed by then. Right. Um, even though I don't, practice his practice. Um, I was definitely influenced by it. Um, my primary influence is someone that I don't feel gets enough credit, and that's uh, Dominic Amirian. Uh, he was my teacher and initiator in the Anderson Ferry tradition. Um, and I don't say that just because he was my teacher and initiator, but because of when I started with him. It's kind of a mix between him and my sponsor at the time, uh, who was also Zen, uh, practiced Zen Buddhism. And so when I got into recovery in 96, and I started studying fairy in 98, um, and was completely um, recrafting everything about my life, I looked at it as a fortunate experience to be able to die in one life and be reborn into another within one single life experience. And uh, and so studying fairy and, and having a sponsor in 12-step program, who was also very um, a big book thumper, but did the Zen of Recovery and crafted um, step work uh, for um, the philosophies of witchcraft as well, that these became the underpinnings uh, of how I learned um, to really um, do life, um, unlike how I was approaching life prior to, uh, and really shaped um, my experience and how I filter my reality and my understanding has, has been dramatically influenced by what I had learned about Zen Buddhism from my sponsor and, and definitely Ferry uh, from my teacher. And, you know, I'll give a shout out to Orion Foxwood because he'd like that, um, <laughs> who's been a great influence um, in my current life. Uh, I, I often tell him that I'm writing his coattails and he's like, that's what I'm here for. Uh, oh. And so he's really been helping me grow um, 
as an as a professional. Um, this was very much a personal practice for me uh, in my study and and in my my life. This was I was doing this for myself to grow myself. It was deeply internal. It did not involve other people. I wasn't doing this on any public level. Um, that was not my goal. Um, the practice um, and the gods had a different plan for me. Uh, my fairy companions that I was born with, they had a different plan for me. Um, and, and so Orion has really helped me um, grow myself in this more public form uh, and in turn growing my practice. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty wonderful. So you and I actually met at Pantheacon this year. Yes. Uh, and I got to know you a little bit and uh, learn a little bit about you. So one thing I would like to bring up is uh, I sat in on one of the talks you did, and uh, while you were speaking, you quite frequently would sit and listen to uh, somebody kind of whispering in your ear. <laughs> and you just mentioned that you've had a uh, fairy that you've had your entire life. Yes. Would you like to introduce and kind of explain the first time you met your fairy Ooh. companion? Um, so my fairy companions... Um, I usually refer, I'll say companions, uh, plural, um, and they go by the name of sims, uh, which sounds singular. Um, but they kind of present as four that are a single being. Okay. Um, and I, I learned this from around it, that it's a hosting, because even behind the four is, is, is more. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a process over many years. But my first experience with them I had a lot of experience as a child and not knowing what it was mm. uh, one of my earliest childhood memories I was about age three it was before kindergarten um, seven days so we had the large you know living room picture window thing uh, and I was sitting on the floor and looking out the window because it was like floor to ceiling window and looking out in the world. So as at, at that young age, I realized I'm looking at night, looking out into the world through this window and being very pissed off that I was back here again. And I've learned now that that actually was part of relationship with them because prior to coming uh, back this time around, um, we were more integrated before. And, and, and so... As a young child, I still had a, a, a relationship to that. Um, but I would hear nearly every night, well into my mid-teens, big, heavy, like house-shaking, pounding footsteps in the middle of the night that would wake me up out of a sleep. And I was not a, um, dreaming when... Um, I would definitely was awake uh, and listening to these pounding footsteps and being terrified in my bed. As a very young child, and for many of those years, so terrified that I would, could, all I could do is blink my eyes, I was afraid to move. These huge pounding footsteps that would come down the hallway uh, of, of our home, coming toward my, my bedroom door. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-teens that I finally had gotten up enough courage to listen to those footsteps as I'm standing by my bedroom door, waiting to hear when the footsteps get up to my door. And I opened the door abruptly to catch whoever it was walking down the hall, and there was nothing. And the way our house was, and it was the same, um, I grew up in two homes but they were basically constructed the same where my bedroom was the first and it was a, a ranch style so this hallway my sister at the end my parents um, across the hall but at the end and across from my bedroom was the bathroom and in both of these houses where these experiences were happening and and so the only other option is that whoever it was walking down the hall went into the bathroom but the bathroom's a dead end uh, and I checked and there was nobody there um, hmm. after that um, I didn't hear the foot, 
steps again. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure, but I asked Sims a few years back, was that them? And they're like, well, yes. I'm like, well, you scared the hell out of me. They weren't intending to scare me. <laughs> but we had to work out, like, what was not fear-inducing <laughs> and, and um, what was a way in which I could recognize um, their presence. Uh, as a, a young child, when we had moved into that second house, um, there was a wooded area behind our house that I loved to go play in. And when we moved into that house was um, like between my um, second grade and third grade. I remember starting third grade uh, living in that house. Um, so we had just moved in. I had gone into kind of the wooded area. And I remember following the songs of birds. And I remember there was this sort of grassy area, kind of a trail um, with short willows, um, dense thickets of, of willows on, on both sides, kind of curving around. And I can still see it every time I talk about it. And listening to these birds and wandering through this area into these willows, um, looking for what bird is singing. And I remember going in. And I remember turning around and coming back out um, and, and not wanting to wander too far. So I turned around and came back out, walked back up to the house, and my sister is kind of frantic, and I don't know what's going on, and I'm asking her, where are my parents? And my parents had called the police and had called in a missing child report. They were with the police uh, driving around looking for me, and I had been gone all day. My memory is I walked in, and I turned around and walked out. It was a very brief amount of time for me. Uh, and, and so I've often pondered, <laughs> this, did the same me that went in, was that the same me that walked out? And I have no actual answer for that. Um, and learning some folklore and some, has made that a very curious story for me. Um, but that's also another time in which I really feel that I had an experience of the fairy realm uh, as a very young child. And it wasn't until around, again, probably around 91, um, may have even been before I got my first book on witchcraft, I decided, I'm like, all right. At this point, I was referring them to my entourage, and I never really spoke about them. I'm like, all right, if you're real, then this is what we're going to do. There was a bar I didn't like because it was very crowded, no flow of, tra of, of foot traffic in it, um, and kind of L-shaped on the inside, so a door in the back and kind of just curved around to the door in the front. I'm like, all right, if you really exist, two of you in front of me, two of you behind me, we're going to go walk into this bar. And I walk into the bar, and I'm watching the crowd just part around where Sims is standing in front of me, and then I look over my shoulder, and the, the crowd is merging back together past where Sims is standing behind me. And my heart is pounding, and I just keep walking till I walk out the front door, because I can't believe what's going on. And that was the first time that I ever put it to the test. I'm like, all right, I've recognized you all my life, but I didn't know what you are. I still don't know what you are, but if you really exist, Here's the test. And it proved out. And so I was a little terrified. But it was from that point on that I began to really acknowledge them and talk to them and really creating a, um, a, an active presence in my physical realm uh, of bringing them into this place. And the name came from uh, a psychic reader. I think it was early. It wasn't my first reading, but I went to a bookstore and She's doing cards, and then she just uh, is kind of scribbling and kind of stopped looking at the tool and just sort of scribbling and just going off um, messages that she's receiving. And she stops, and she's like, do you believe in spirits? I think, oh, my God, what are they doing? Like, they're messing <laughs> around. What's going on? They're getting into trouble. And she stops. She jots something down, and she reads, and she's like, Sims. They said you can refer to them by the name of Sims. And so that's when it transitioned from my entourage 
um, to Sims. Uh, uh, and so then I've been working with that name with them ever since. And yes, they speak to me often when I'm doing workshops and, and things. That's where um, the merge becomes much more present. Right. Um, is, and I just try to open up. They tell me just show up and open my mouth and they'll take care of the rest. A little nerve-wracking, but... Less, you know, it's, just, it's a learning process. Yeah, yeah. Don't know yeah. what's going to come out. Right? Don't know what's going to come out most of the time. <laughs> we'll, we'll just ride it, see where it goes. Right. It's been good so far. Yeah. Thank you. So, you mentioned uh, being gay and everything mm -hmm. like that. As another gay man who was very religious or had very religious family, I've noticed that a lot more LGBTQ+, plus People mm -hmm. tend to fall in the pagan or witchcraft uh, scene, mm -hmm. I guess, is, uh, or we find ourselves at home there. Right. Why Why do you feel like that's... I, I've got my personal... Right. What's um, your take? Yeah, what's your take on this? My perspective is that we are other. And when other gets cast out from the overculture. Um, I think that other has an opportunity to look at other options. And, and so mainstream religion often is not uh, accepting. And, and so if we grew up in those paradigms, um, and, and then in my case where not only did I grow up in the paradigm, but I was also very religious and very spiritual. And, and that was very much a part of, of who I was for as early as I can remember. So I didn't want to leave that behind, but that forum was not working for me. Uh, and so finding this allows me to really, you know, delve into it and live this as my life as, as a spiritual person. Uh, but I think in general, um, there's something other about other. And, and I use the term other because it doesn't have to LGBTQ, XYZ, LMNOP, all the different, we're other. And, and I think the reason we're here, very hairy hay, is we're different. And that difference has a purpose. And we have the ability, not everyone embraces that, and that's different paths. Um, but we have the ability, according to Harry Hay, to view the world, what he calls subject-subject consciousness which is very pagan, where I am not better than or less than anything else, that everything in the seen and unseen worlds are subjects equal to me as a subject, and, and that it's not subject-object consciousness. And um, I've really embraced that. And, and Harry taught that, because um, he was a gay man, he was speaking for gay men and not um, gay women, because he's like, I'm not a woman. Um, so he said gay men had a particular ability to see the world in that way. And, and some do, and others don't. It's not a, a, a there's no judgment there. It's, um, but there's a, a leaning that can, can lean in that direction. Um, and then what I've gathered over the years uh, is that, you know, if we, want to ponder brain physiology. I, I think um, the queer brain, um, to, to be kind of an all-inclusive term, um, my belief is that it's wired a little bit different. You know, they had the book, um, Women Are From Venus and Men Are From Mars, and it was very controversial, and, and, and now it's a bit outdated. Um, but I think a foundational part that, that was certainly interesting is that women filter reality in the world differently than men filter the reality of True. the world, how their brains are focusing and, and relating to the world around them. And I think as um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, all of our different terms, I think we mix between you know gender male and gendered female brain physiology. I think we mix and blend those perspectives. Um, in a in a unique way than people that are are, are living out on on the polar ends of, of gender in all male or all female, and so in that 
um, sort of middle ground, I think we find that, uh, in my opinion, that um, the world in reality becomes more malleable. And standard um, mainstream religions don't have a mechanism by which to play with that malleable nature to reality, whereas the variety of different pagan practices are totally engaged. The magical practices are all about playing with the malleability of, of reality, that reality is not fixed. And I think it gives us a place to find where, oh wait, I wasn't created as a mistake. And not only am I not a mistake, but my very being has a purpose and function in this realm of playing with the magical world and playing with reality, viewing the world in a, from a unique perspective. Yeah, uh, one of the things that kind of caught me was uh, a lot of pagan religions, there are gay or bisexual deities in their pantheon. Right. Um, <laughs> as a person who identifies as um, gender other, I'll be 51 this year, gender non-binary, gender queer, those are very new terms, um, so they don't resonate with me because they feel very new and I'm a little old. Um, so other, I'm like, I embrace other, um, but that has had me reflect on a lot of, of deities in particular and pagan deities. And I find it amusing that we place gender on them, um, because what on earth would a deity have a need for gender? Um, if someone, you know, star goddess in, in, uh, Anderson fairy, um, is, we, we call her God herself, playing with, with the gender. We refer to her in, in female pronouns, but we recognize that she is both male, female, and neither existing all at once. Um, the void has all potential, so she is all potential. And I'm amused that in her orgasm, as we teach, that she birthed creation, um, doesn't, that doesn't have to be gender. Um, she didn't, and she didn't need a, a, a mixing of opposites to, to create. And then she gave birth to, to the divine twins, of which I work with as, as red god and green god. Because in our creation stories, it's not um, procreative for creation to happen, but it's ecstatic for creation to happen. So it is in that moment of ecstasy, or as Orion would say, an exhalation, that creation took place and, and the divine twins in their lover's embrace and in their orgasm and their ecstatic exhalation birthing all things in the seen and unseen worlds and so i find no need for gender in those things so we do find mm -hmm. um as deities have been gendered um, right. through antiquity and, and things we do find a lot of queer activity around deities because again i don't think they need those boxes of, of heterosexual either. Um, the deities are sexual. Creation in Anderson Fairy is sexual by its very nature. And, and that the energies uh, in Reiki, universal life energy, or uh, we would say blue fire, the mana, the life force energy, the energy of creation that's still creating is sexual by its very nature. Uh, and, and so the, the deities constructed, made of this birthing and um, pumping and emoting this energy are very sexual by nature. And, and so, hey, when you're sexual by nature and you're like, hey, you over there are kind of looking fun. You look a little cute. I don't care what your anatomy is right. um, because it's a divine interaction. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in that divine interaction and those stories and things that we hear um, as queer individuals, we can feel a place right. there. Like, oh my God, well, you know, the God maybe of my youth was very gender specific and patriarchal and controlling, but oh my God, this God that I've come in contact with later in my life that's very queer and very gay and maybe very fluid in their sexual expression, uh, like Pan is, is neither gay or just sexual. Mm -hmm. um, that I could find a relationship with that, and I can feel a sense of a healthy self-esteem in relating to that, because now right. I don't feel negative about my expression 
but I can find, oh, wait, no, there's a divine expression that I am a reflection of that. Awesome. Thank you. That's wonderful. So I did a little bit of research on you when I found out that we were going Uh to uh, (laughs) be interviewing you. So I know that you uh, also participate with the Sisters of was it the Sisters of Claret? Uh, sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. That's that's one. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, my sister name, uh, because I don't often get the chance to say the full name. Yes. I'm like that's too long. Uh, sister Kali, Vagilistic XP Aladocious. <laughs> um, and and yes, it's the Hindu goddess of destruction because I find that thoroughly amusing. Um, and Ma Kali, because, you know, yes, she's destructive, but then this immense compassion and mother energy, mm-hmm. which for me resonates so much. Mother. And, and it resonates so much with um, the sisters. Mm. Um, our mission is to promulgate universal joy and expiate stigmatic guilt, big words, to promote joy and to go out in the community and lift the guilt that's been placed on us from outside sources. Mm. And so I see that, and my, my take, my name, and my mission um, uh, relationship to that sister mission uh, is slaying the demons uh, of mankind, as Kali slayed the demons of mankind, which were the complexes of the ego self. Mm. And a lot of those complexes we develop from that stigmatic guilt that's been placed on us, say, through mainstream religion, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that says that we're born of in, in sin. For even if you're not even gay, you're humanity born of original sin. Well, that's a mark on your self-esteem before you even got here. Right. And and then our society, Western culture, has been built on that to begin with. Mm. So we we don't get a esteem-building message right from birth. And so as sisters, we get to knock that down. We get to present something different, and not an answer, not changing it with another, well, here, let me tell you, this is what you are, but simply through an expression of something else, God knows what we are, (laughs) Uh, as a sacred clown, to shake the psyche, um, but not provide the answer. Uh, And so I kind of look at it, um, I've been an artist uh, all my life, and kind of look at it the same as I kind of view art. So once the artist is done and said the art is hanging in a museum, uh, the viewer then is having their own independent experience of that art, independent from that author or that artist. And, and I see that as myself as a sister, where somebody might see me from across the street and have a reaction, and that has nothing to do with me. And maybe they'll go home and wonder why they had such a strong reaction, oftentimes a negative reaction. I'm like, those are even better. Um, because they get to sit with, why am I having that, hopefully, or just an effect that that has. And so we take on the different um, religious iconography, one, to shock the psyche. We're not making fun of nuns anywhere. In fact, we are honoring them. Mm-hmm. We, we view ourselves as actual nuns. We're not playing at being nuns. We take vows like other nuns take vows. And we do the work of nuns and our service to the community and uh, our fundraising for underserved communities and various things. So we see our work uh, the same as nuns, and we consider ourselves to be uh, nuns. Uh, And we're just offering a different um, opportunity for our community to maybe be able to have a different relationship Mm -hmm. to the messages that they've been inundated with by overculture or by religion or by... You know, unfortunately, sometimes family and different things. Uh, and so we use humor and street theater and, and a variety oh, of things. Great to see you guys um, at play uh, Pride. Thank you. It, it's always great to see you guys marching through usually L.A. Pride and yes, seeing you yes. guys afterward. It's it's always a great... It's uh, One of our friends is very... She's always, oh my gosh, they're here! <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's always great. And I... I, I no, you don't probably get asked about that very often, so I thought I'd bring that up. And Not in this forum, no. Yeah. And then when I do get asked about sister stuff, it's strictly sister stuff. So, um, And the two for me are, are not separate. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, actually becoming a sister uh, took everything in my life, including um, this part of it, the witchcraft part, uh, 
um, and wrapped it up with a nice, neat little bow. And I often say it, it um, became, it, it made all of it facets on the diamond. Mm. Myself as the diamond um, and, and these different facets rather than these sort of compartmentalized parts of my life like it kind of had been before where there were all these different parts and I did this over here and this over here. Um, but I got to step out as a sister and pull all that together. And then even my work um, that I do as a professional witch, when I, spiritual counseling and things, which is my focus, the name of the business, My Authentic Self, which is, is what helped me turn my life into uh, a new direction. But it's the same thing that I do as a sister. So whether I'm painting a face, going out in, in um, nun drag, or coming to work and working one-on-one -on -one or teaching a workshop at, at a pagan convention or something, um, for me, it's still all the sister work, uh, so I don't separate the two. Awesome. So, I'm curious. A lot has happened, especially over the last several months, within the pagan community. What is your opinion of something that you personally would like to see more within our pagan community, whether it's an action or uh, just a general... Uh, vibe. Is there something that you would like to see more of? Um, yes. And so I'll do a plug for um, Hexenfest, because I'm going to be doing a workshop there. It's my first time and I'm quite excited. But it had me thinking on this, uh, along these lines, because they're more about art, music, and current topics. So this really had me thinking about what's been happening currently and coming up with a workshop. Hexenfest is taking place when and where? Ooh, the, the, it's in September, the exact day, I can't remember off the top of my head, and I it's in Northern California, north of San Francisco. It'll be my first time attending, so I don't remember the details. Hexenfest is September 12th through September 15th at Saratoga Springs, California. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. And... And so we had lots of rain. I'm living in the mountains now. We had lots of rains um, here in San Diego County, more so than San Diego is, is typically used to. And, and so there was a lot of flooding that was happening, except I live in the mountains. And there was, I kept watching as I would drive into town for work. And then one particular day was um, driving uh, um, down out of the mountains and it, it's pouring down rain and I'm watching from the tops of the mountains as water is coming down these little little streamlets down into these larger streams and that, down into these creeks where the, everything is coming alive. Yeah. That I didn't even know these waterways were there. Now, I do live across the, um, the road from a lake, but it's, it's a, a dammed. But again, they didn't seem to find the source for where the water <laughs> was coming and feeding into this dam. And it was quite small from what it used to be. Uh, and, and so watching all of this and nature deal with water. And, and so I just kept thinking, what, and what, what are you teaching me? I'm seeing something. And what are you teaching me? How is that, how does that relate to what's going on right now in, in today's activism? Um, and I remembered something and I could not find the original thing. It was a Deepak Chopra something or other, new book, 10 things or something or other, Deepak Chopra. Back when I was still in, in nonprofit corporate world, uh, and this was something that um, helped me get out of that world. It wasn't working for me. Um, and it was, water takes the path of least resistance. Yes. And that's all I needed to hear to go, the light bulb to, to come on, that, on how I needed to get out of that um, uh, environment. And so here I am watching water. I'm like, spirit of water, what are you teaching me? And, and so the workshop title was, water and the spirit of least resistance. And what I was watching is, you know, in the city things are flooding and people, what are they doing? They're resisting the presence of water and it's flood flooding in their homes and all these different things. Sure. Um, and then up here in the mountains where it's just going where it needs to go and it's just doing what it needs to do. Even when there's a dam, the water is still doing what it does. It's, it, the dam is not stopping it. Like the dam is not preventing, changing it. The water's not fighting it. It just keeps expanding out and getting larger and larger. And so it's not 
trying to make the dam not exist. Right. It's just expanding out. And so in today's realm of activism, and I've been on the front lines of activism for 30 plus years, and, and you know the, the buzzword right now is resist, resist, resist. Like, wait a minute, the spirit of least resistance, water takes the path of least resistance. So I think in the pagan community, we have an opportunity to um, view our um, approach to activism differently. I'm not saying don't resist. I'm not saying don't march in the streets. I'm, you know, do all that. I've been doing it for years, so I need something different because I've been doing it and doing it and doing it, and nothing's changing. So I need to look at how can I do it different because doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is that definition of insanity. Yes. So I'm looking at what are you teaching me, nature? What are you teaching me, spirit of water, that I'm not getting that I can look at in my application to activism and everything that's going on right now, and that spirit of least resistance, and sitting with compassion, which has also been a big thing that I've been sitting with, and, and sort of Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of compassion, and this fierce quality of compassion. Compassion is not a doormat. There's this fierce nature to it. And so what am I gathering? And resisting what is. In, in a Sherry Huber book, she had an illustration of, yep, start, you have two options. Acceptance or resistance. This is what acceptance looks like. And it's a drawing of somebody meditating on a Zafu and just sitting there. This is what resistance looks like. And it's big, giant black letters of is and a person pushing up against these big, giant black letters of is. And up below that, it says uh, acceptance equals nothing changes. Resistance equals nothing changes and you suffer. So all these messages kind of tumbling on themselves right. and all of these things that are going on right now, I'm like, okay, resistance isn't the force that I need to be approaching in looking at all this radical acceptance, which is not a doormat, but approach it with compassion. And then now what? How do I then change my relationship to it? Mm. And as magic workers, that's where we can get into and craft our relationship to this reality that we're in. I think we've gotten sucked into it, not realizing that we come from a place that reality is malleable, but things have gotten really bad right now. And so because of the severity, I think we've, we're, we're stuck in this tension, and we need to see ourselves outside of it so that we can then go, wait a minute, I have the ability to craft and create reality. How do I want to spin this? And it's not about, well, I'm going to light this candle on, you know, against this person, but let me look at the big picture. This, we're living in a time in which the complexes of the ego self have been completely exposed. Look, I don't want to go into politics, but look at the orange thing, sitting in office, who I was like, I hate the person. How can I not spend this time like hating? So if I take the person out, what do I see? I see a very wounded person. I see what can happen with, to the ego self when it is left unchecked. That this person, is, their self-esteem is so low, they had to get the highest, most powerful office in the world just to feel normal. And they still don't feel normal. Right. And so what is that telling you? What did they expose the stuff that's been underlying all this time? That's what fear-based, fearing other, and, and trying to draw lines around everything. And it's because, again, low self-esteem. All of this is that, that woundedness, as Orion would say, the, the, the abandonment wound, the illusion of isolation. And we have an opportunity to plug into the interconnected nature of our practice and go, wait a minute. When we plug into this interconnectedness, we can move out of that wound and have a different relationship to what's going on around us. Are we there? No. Is it difficult? Yes. Many paths to do it, march in the streets. I'm not saying don't march in the streets. I'm not saying don't hold up your signs of resistance. Just saying there are other ways and other people. The more we diversify the approach, 
if you've got to bust a big rock, uh, the more you have pounding away with different things, it may have different effects. But what does water do? It doesn't even bother with that big rock. It just moves around it, and eventually what happens to that big rock? It wears it down. It'll wear it down. But it doesn't try to wear it down. Yeah, it's not, not in, it's not intending to. The water's just going where the water needs to go. And I think we can plug into that. I think that we can find some strength for ourselves in that message uh, and, and revitalize ourselves. And then I think we can uh, reflect that out into the larger community. So you would like to see more diversity in approach? More diversity in, in our approach. And go with the flow is a challenging cliche. Okay. Um, because it has its own understanding. Um, and so I think it, it does apply, but then the understanding can kind of can uh, muddy the waters a bit. Sure. Um, but to look at what are our strengths, our strength is that we can view reality as something that we can um, change, change and, and craft with. And, and we don't have to be stuck in the reality that's being offered to us. And there's a lot of, you know, we've, we've got to get our message out, we've got to get our message out, but having been raised in a religion that proselytizes, that frightens me. I think we need to move away from, oh, we've got the answers, we've got to get our message out, and, you know, let's teach paganism or witchcraft and all this stuff, but let's talk about how we interconnect. Let's talk about relationship building, not only relationship building with one another cross-culturally, um, cross genders and, and all the labels that we um, see ourselves interconnected and then interconnecting with the natural world, which is where we draw our vitality, and then interconnecting with the unseen world because they've got the tools. They've been crafting this earth before we got here. And it's that combined relationship that can move us forward. I think we're just stuck in a time of massive change and the old paradigm doesn't want to relinquish itself easily. And if we can just go, oh, it's just the tower card. That's all. We don't try to keep putting the, the bricks back in the tower as it's crumbling. We're like, oh, it's the tower card. Okay, now I know what's going on. I can wait for the crumble because something always comes after. Right. It's a rebirth or yeah. restart. Yeah. So do you have, um, <laughs> wrapping things up, mm -hmm. do you have any projects on the horizon or anything that you want to tell us about that's coming up for you? Yes, and I should have notes in front of me because I have a big thing coming up and I'm very nervous and very excited. Um, for lack of what to call it, I've just been calling it my... my um, tour up the, the, the coast, um, and we, we oh, you have a there. book too. Don't have you? a book I'm working on. This right. is part of that. So, are you touring for the book once bits the book and pieces. published, or in preparation I'm, for the book being published? It's a little bit of both. Um, I'm still working on the book. There's still a long way to go. Okay. Um, the working title is uh, Witchery of the Blood: Arousing the Awake. And it's about witch blood. This was not something I was taught. So my fairy companion, Sims, is something that they've been feeding me a lot of information, as well as Melek Taus, um, who's the, the god in, primary god in, in Anderson Ferry, and whom I'm initiated under, um, have been feeding me a lot of information around that and then retelling stories. And so there's lots of research um, that I'm putting into it, um, digging apart um, Genesis and books that were left out of the Bible to look at the stories that have shaped Western culture, okay. whether we were raised in it or not, so that we can um, maybe view them in a different way. Um, this is very fae, angel, jinn, deva driven, um, and our relationship to that, um, and, uh, and who and what we are as what we refer to as humans. Um, and so that's still in, in process. Um, but I do have a few workshops that I'll be doing along this tour that are part of that material. Um, one of them is uh, called Witchery of the, of the Blood, uh, Igniting the Fires Within. That'll be in Orange County 
on Saturday the 25th. Uh, and then in Boulder Creek in the Santa Cruz Mountains, another one, um, and I, Sims gave me the title of this workshop, and I absolutely adore it. Uh, Adam and Eve, The Legacy of Witchcraft. Oh, it's just so controversial. I love it. <laughs> um, taking a look at um, Adam and Eve in a completely different light, in a completely different way. Um, as well as some other uh, workshops I'll be doing, um, that's the uh, June 1st, and on June 8th, I will be doing a workshop in Sacramento, uh, working with ancestors, and then, because I forget the specific date off the top of my head, the second to last weekend, so the fourth weekend in June in Portland at Raven's Wing, I'm doing a workshop titled... Um, uh, pulling spirit. Would that be the scan. 22nd? The yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, um, that's and in Portland. In Portland at, at Raven's Wing. And then this is leading me to uh, Washington State where I'll be presenting at the Fairy and Human Relations Congress the last weekend in uh, July, or excuse me, in June. And I'm super excited about that. And there's another one that's sort of a blend. This one's a little blend of what I've been writing and a lot what I've been receiving from Malik Taus. Um, and it's called the, the Peacock Angel and a Messianic Message from the Fairy Realm. So this is taking a blend much more of my tradition and, and fairy stuff with th this revealed material that I've been receiving um, and really looking at it from um, the faith perspective and old Azidi material that uh, a friend of mine who's Azidi uh, and um, they've been working closely with for the last, um, goodness, I think we're coming on five years. Um, yeah, four or five years. Uh, and so some of their old prophecies and things that, that they were given by Malik Taus that are surprisingly um, in line with what's been happening these days. So um, blending what I've been, been pulling up and, and writing and then coming from my tradition and pulling a little bit from um, the Azidi stuff that's been shared with me uh, and then speaking um, his story uh, of, of what he's talking about present um, and, and I think it's an, an, um, a, a reawakening of the fairy realm uh, into the consciousness of humanity and then I'll be doing another workshop the first weekend in July in Seattle, uh, and that one is Fear as a Source of Magic. And then closing it out in Brookings, Oregon, on the coast, just above the California border, with What is Magic and Why Do We Play With It Anyway? And so all of these, because I'm, I'm, I'm so steeped in the stuff that I'm writing, have a lot of evolution of that material into all of those subjects. Uh, because whether or not, I, I'm calling it Witch blood, because that's the term that set me down this rabbit hole. Um, and it was important to me because that's not something I was taught. Um, but it's been, it's known by many different names. So, you know, the gift, the, you know, the, the, the whatevers that, that run through families. It's whether it's um, being born the, the shaman in cultures where, where shaman is their term and um, healer or, you know, whatever those, those terms may be. Um, but I find that those gifts are waking up in humanity today. Uh, people that I refer to as being born awake are waking up. And uh, where there used to be the opportunity to maybe not roll with it uh, in these last couple of years, uh, I have not seen um, anyone actually that's come to me that these gifts are waking up where they have an option anymore. That the people that uh, came into this world um, their spirit was, was born awake that are now waking up uh, and having to step into these gifts um, because we're at a desperate time. And I think these gifts are leading us into an interconnected relationship with the unseen world, whether it's working with ancestors or working with fairy beings or working with nature spirits, working with the spirits of stones or what have you. We're developing these contacted relationships because there are what's necessary in order for us to move forward. So that's a lot of these feed into these subjects. So that's a big thing that I'm working on. 
Um, the undertaker. And, and it's, yeah. it's kind of life-consuming. <laughs> <laughs> I've never written a book before, so this is really uh, an interesting journey. Um, and uh, and it has me looking at, well, what am I... What am I trying to contribute in a larger scale to the community as a whole? Um, because this is not about my message, it's about their message and, and what it's bringing forward. Um, and what I've been um, sort of focusing a lot of my teachings on of late is, I call it witchcraft because that's what I do and that sits in my practice. I don't care what you call it. And find the container that works for you, Wicca, fairy, the various practices and whatever their tradition names are wonderful, but they're containers that help us contextualize and contain this natural thing that's that's running through our blood, that's waking up now. And so whatever container is going to work for you to help you access that, that's wonderful. Find that. And then we'll work with how to access what's arriving in the blood. So if people are interested in learning more about your... Uh, speaking engagements or maybe getting a reading from you or anything, any of the above, what is the best way that they can contact you? Currently, the best way um, is Facebook. Okay. Um, Tommy Starchild, Tommy is with an I-E, so T-O-M-M-I-E, Starchild, one word. Um, because I, I've... I'm no longer in my own shop, so I'm working at the Mystic Isle in La Mesa, which is another good place to find me. I'm here Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, and then the first Saturday of every month, um, with the exception of when I'm going to be out of town this coming period. Um, Do you have a website? And I have a website, myauthenticself.com. Um, also a good place to find me. Um, Facebook is going to be the most current, because I'm not a web person, so I need to update my website with these classes and, and, and new ventures. And, and so I've got to do that. Um, so Facebook is where I'm, I'm doing the, the bulk of um, postings of, of where I'll be, what I'm doing, and, uh, and contact me there through Messenger or con contact information for both the store um, and how to contact me can be found on my website, myauthenticself.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Tommy. I appreciate your time. Thank you both. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to sit with you. Thank you so very much. Well, it's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you.